we cannot fathom the conversation we will have with, if we have kids, we won't be able to fathom the conversation we will have with them because we have no idea what is going to be their normal. And I don't think, I think we're one of the first generations that has felt that way. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. To it, another episode. Yes, to another episode. In this episode, we're going to be talking about millennials versus Gen Z. And in general, discussing differences in generational dynamics and how that affects people based off of which ones you were raised in and who your parents were and all this good stuff and maybe even like technology and dating life and social media, which complicates everything even more. But yeah, we have a, it's a pretty interesting topic and I don't think I've really heard about it being dove, dived, dove into, delved. Dived. <laughs> I like dove in dove into <laughs> um I, yeah i haven't really heard it discussed dived Di- <laughs> talked about i haven't heard it talked about in really any realm but i've heard people talk about generations and specifically but i think our take is going to be particularly interesting because we are all born in 96 which means we are at the cusp, the very cusp of Gen Z and millennials. So if you look at the age ranges of the different generations, you have baby boomers that were born in 1946, 1964, Gen X born 1965, 1980, millennials born 1981, 1996, and then Gen Z, which kind of depends on who you ask, but even in the social dilemma and other articles they also say gen z's 1996 to 2012 so we are like like i mentioned right at the cusp we kind of have been exposed to both gen z life and millennial life and so our perspectives on this topic and how we brought the two together i think are very unique and are going to make for a really interesting conversation which is why we're doing this episode i agree yeah, because we're we're like millennials raised by boomers who can still relate to Gen Z and sometimes relate more to Gen Z. So we kind of have, are going through like an identity crisis, like in our mid twenties. And we're we're like ABCDs, you know, American born, oh, whatever. Yeah. So we're yeah. just perpetually confused. I think we're- a lot of people, anyone right now that's between the ages of like. I want to say like 22 to 25 is really going to relate to this episode. Uh, Going through similar life stages, confusions, all that good stuff. Um, But first I wanted to start off by talking about why we have this exposure in particular, or this this specific uh, perspective. And I know I mentioned it's because we're on the cusp, but I think another reason that's pretty pretty heavily influenced all of us 
is the sibling exposure. So all three of us have siblings that are in either part of the millennial generation and we are kind of on the cusp. So in terms of like pop culture and like mannerisms of speaking and behaving and what's okay and not okay, like socially, a lot of that we looked at to our older siblings for learning and kind of adjusting and becoming adults in the working world and all of that. And so we've got our millennial taste from our older siblings, I think, and, and not just them, but like the friends, their friends, because we've, you know, we've visited them in college, we'll like hang out with their friend groups. And so we've seen their taste and how they kind of view the world. And I think that exposure, exposure has been really critical to the millennial generation, but it's only deepened as we've all started working in the past two years. And now we're around not just millennials, but baby boomers and Gen Xs. So I think um, that exposure is just kind of widened, but I think I would imagine that if somebody had, like if I was at my age still, but if I had a younger sibling and I had no older siblings, maybe I just had, let's say like a 15 year old younger sibling. I would think my, my perspective on what I was exposed to in my worldview would be a, would be quite different because even just like music taste or like movies and all these things that maybe I don't view, I wouldn't be maybe exposed to more of the classics or things that like were big or iconic during a millennial's time um, because I would be more exposed to maybe like what's trending on TikTok or like what what's, in, I don't know, what's the cool new Snapchat filter? <laughs> I'm making Gen Z sound very basic, but like <laughs> essentially I think I would be exposed to a much different uh, look in the world. And, and they're also kind of just navigating um, different parts of their life. So yeah, I think the fact that we've all, we all have older siblings uh, that I think are all five years older than us. So that is, um, that's something worth noting. So we have a very interesting convergence there. Any initial thoughts on that? I'll continue. I think yeah. the, the sibling, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say the same thing. Like, wow, that totally did affect my whole perspective on like what music I like, what fashion choices I like, not that I was copying my brother, <laughs> but you know, like you said, I was around so many people his age that I grew to think whatever they're doing is what I should be doing. Um, so I almost identified as a millennial before I even, you know, really became a person, like an older yeah. teenager, young adult. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I was pretty much going to like say the same thing um, where I, I think if I didn't have my sister, who was like so much older than me, I would probably consider myself Gen Z and even say that I'm in Gen Z because yeah. that would be all of our influences. Whereas like now I only, I more identify as a millennial and say that I'm a millennial, even though my peers are not really like that. So mm -hmm. good point. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. I think the the sibling is like the thing that's like keeping me feeling connected to millennials, but to continue, I'm trying to think of, I have like three different points and I'm thinking about the ordering of them. Um, okay, actually I'm gonna go into worldview next. So I was listening to a podcast that talked about Gen Z and marketing to Gen Z and 
how to kind of like target this next incoming group of uh, consumers, which sounds kind of gross, but that's another point I'm going to get into later. Uh, so another thing that's also often talked about when it comes to Gen Z is their view on the world. And in particular, in the podcast, they mentioned that Gen Z tends to dream with their eyes wide open. So what that means is that Gen Z is one of the first generations to go through like several global catastrophic events, like back to back to back to back. Like we like 9-11 pandemic, um, but not just like going through the events, but going through them in a very impressionable year. So like school shootings, um, just, yeah, terrible things, tsunamis, floods, all this stuff, which is like constantly going on in America and in the world. And this is all happening when we were like in middle school and high school. Like these are things that we were exposed to as almost like seeming to just kind of, you know, I guess depending on your parents, or your family, like you just gotta have to make sense of it or just move on. Or maybe people don't even talk about it. And then you're just kind of internalizing all this stuff. So there's a lot of, um, in general, you're hit with a lot of like terrors of the world. But the difference being that Gen Z was hit with it at a time when they were still like learning to cope with their own identity and understanding of the world versus millennials were kind of hit with it while they already had a sense of identity understanding of the world. And because of that difference, a lot of millennials, people have talked about millennials as being a much more like cynical and much more like, oh, there's no hope. Like, what's the point of like having any kind of optimism about this? Like people are always gonna be angry and hungry and whatever. And like, there's gonna be terrible things happening in the world. But then you have Gen Z who has, who brings that like idealism in because they've seen, they've experienced that, those traumatic things as well, but it hasn't gotten to a, it hasn't really hit them at a point where it made them cynical. So a lot of what I think of like Gen Z is a lot of like, they have like an idealistic cynicism where they, they have the hope that they can solve these big world issues. They can help end world hunger they can like help uh, get cleaner water. They can like contribute to uh, reducing climate change and all this stuff, but they're also not, but they have a very practical view on it as well. They're not just like, oh, these things are going to happen. And then if I just like keep, um, I think there's an understanding that they still have to put in the effort and put take the steps to do the activism necessary to make something happen. So you have a lot of like iconic Gen Z people right now who are like really making waves. So you, you know, everyone knows Greta, even just like artistically like Billie Eilish and Zendaya, like people who are, these are all Gen Zers who are very well known in their fields that are using their platforms for good, who are like trying to spread good messages, who are trying to uh, really put a message out there of like putting effort into whatever work they're in, but not in a sense of like this like idealistic, uh, <laughs> yes, Jithra. <laughs> I had a question, but you had like a like a flow going, and I didn't yeah, yeah, mess it up. Uh, so, why do you think it is that Gen Z is like cynical, but thinks about it more idealistically, whereas millennials are more like, ah, fuck it. So, I really think it's because of the time, the timings at which they dealt with 
certain world terrors. Like all of us were pretty much way too, like Gen Z were pretty much way too young to, to even have any memory of 9-11 or have any memory of the, the financial crisis or the housing crisis or like we we kind of knew it happened but we were just like oh what like why did you take away my nap time and then you just you kind of go about your day but a lot of millennials have been through this stuff and have seen the repercussions and have seen families being broken apart and maybe gen z was a little bit too young to understand what was going on at the time and even like now with the pandemic it's hitting gen z but it's hitting them in a very like like in a, I don't even know what to call it. Like, um, like there's some of the, many of them are still in school or many of them are still in college. So it's not necessarily like hitting them the way like millennials. protected. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they're, they're not gonna lose their job. Like Yes, exactly. They're not like losing their job or fighting with their husband or like over a kid, like being in lockdown. They're more like, oh, I lost my graduation. I lost like this, I lost whatever it is. Like they're still experiencing that like hurt and that trauma, but they're, it's almost like they're, they're experienced all of that, but still under the cusp of like young adulthood, which tends to soften things a bit. And it doesn't like, it, it helps to like uh, break, the, break the potential pain. I don't, there's like a word for that when you soften the, I don't know. Like, soften the blow? Yeah. So I think... I really think it's like the the years of exposure between Gen Z and millennials. And this is something they talk about in the podcast as well as like Gen Z has been through so much, but I don't think it's like they've had the time to like process and acknowledge all of it. And so I don't think the cynicism has hit them yet. So they still have that like hope because they know what's wrong with the world because they've seen all these terrible things happening, but they still have the idealism and the, the hope and the optimism to to think that they can make a difference. So that's something I've also noticed a lot between, like when I think of like millennials in my life and then versus like Gen Z, there's just, there's a clear difference in, in worldview of what I can do, like what I'm capable of and what I, what I wanna impact. Um, and I don't know if that's also just an age thing, like maybe as Gen Z goes older, they're gonna just eventually be like, you know what, this our world's gonna end anyways like nothing's gonna make a difference like climate change is gonna burn the earth like whatever and they're just gonna give up as well and the next generation is gonna come along but uh, so far this is kind of the trend that I've seen uh but not to say that like I think millennials they obviously also have a lot of that optimism as well it's just it just seems like there's a general feeling of like bitterness (laughs) that is kind of around in a lot of like when I think of like my sister's age group or even beyond where it's yeah I think in terms in terms of like change and like making a difference I agree Um, do you all think that's a part of getting older that when Gen Zers reach 25 plus they're going to realize like there's just so much wrong with the world and there's just not enough like idealistic, like hardworking people willing to change things that they just sort of start to accept it kind of the way that millennials have. Like, yeah, so do you think it's, it's just a part of getting older and learning more about the world? 
So I feel like it's also the this like which might even segue into like technology and um, millennials and Gen Z, but uh, I think it's also the flow of information that's changed. So when millennials like even realize that there's so many like fundamental institutions that are just fucked up all around the world that kind of hit us later like when the internet became more widespread when you can literally just hop on google and find anything and i mean i guess that kind of existed when we were in like middle school but i don't think the like you didn't have that constant stream of information from like instagram that was just like steadily feeding you like politics and news and what was happening everywhere all at once whereas gen z gets like all of this information a lot quicker and i think when millennials got all of this information it was later in life like after we've picked a career that maybe isn't what we're passionate in or something whereas for gen z they're getting all of this information before they choose what they want to do with their life and i think it's like turned into more of an inspirational thing hopefully than more of a like us slowly uncovering like more and more fuck shit and like feeling more and more helpless because you know i'm a dentist and i'm not actually a dentist but you get it and i can't f- fight apartheid if i'm a dentist <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah that's my take yeah and it seems like gen zers are more interested in like creating their own jobs or that's just like a younger concept, like instead of, you know, finding a career in a really stable company, like what my dad did and staying there for 40 years or whatever. Yeah. You can, you know, learn things on your own and tailor your job to fit like your interests and your needs rather than falling into the like conveyor belt. Yeah. And like the difference between being raised by boomers and being raised by Gen Y is like, I don't see millennials telling their kids that they should get a stable nine to five. They're probably going to tell them, do what you love. Whereas my parents were like, you best make that money. That's what you love. Yeah. Right. Do what you tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think um, that's also a survival mechanism. Like, especially if you're an immigrant and your livelihood isn't like a certainty, you know, like it was for our parents that, um, they didn't have that like stability of like an like old an old money family. I don't know why I just thought of that. <laughs> but, yeah, and so I I think the conveyor belt you know is a safety net too because you never have to leave it. You never have to like venture out into what else is there. And yeah, I mean, let's like you get benefits, you get like social security, like thing like an unemployment. Like you you're getting a lot out of like there's society pushes you to do the conveyor belt lifestyle so like to fight against that you'd have to like have a lot riding on fighting against it which i think is what gen z is is facing when they have all of this information in front of them that like the world is burning yeah and it's it's kind of like they're realizing that that safe that safety net like isn't as safe as it seems you know like you all mentioned earlier that they're a lot more critical of these like fundamental institutions like education and government, all these things we're, we're taught uh, that are, are like safe for us. Yeah, uh, that are there to like protect you. 
Exactly. Yeah. And so that lifestyle of, you know, working for some huge like corporation, that's not actually safe because it's not like to the benefit of the environment or to humanity. And And I don't think I like, I'm sorry. Or the stakes are just much higher. It seems for whatever job you're doing, like it has to be ethical too. Yeah. And like, I don't think I made those connections that, that the government is not looking for my best interests that like, the agents who I give my life to, like whether I'm in college or high school or whatever, are not there to protect me. Like they're not actually, they're, they're looking for their own best interest. And I, I, none of that hit me until like college. Whereas I think these realizations are hitting Gen Zers in like high school or even middle school because they have all this technology and information. We'd like to segue mm-hmm. into our next topic. Uh, it's uh, two more things I want to talk about. Oh, sorry. Go for it. But I have a really good segue to technology. That, okay. Yeah. Um, but I love that you all brought up this conveyor belt lifestyle because one of the points I wanted to mention too is I think millennials kind of disbanded the conveyor belt of everything like whether it's the career you choose whether it's the people that you love whether it's like how you love how you date how you live like they kind of challenge the norms of everything and I think due to technology it's been they've been able to kind of also put their ideas and spread them out into the world and I'm sure all of these things like poly and uh like mobile homes and like compact things like like I'm sure those were all happening before but maybe people just didn't know those were options I think millennials exposed that look at these other options that look these other ways you can live and particularly in dating too I think they totally disbanded the conveyor belt of dating in terms of what is normal and that the normal proceedings of of courting of courtship was just very straightforward and you didn't really have to talk even talk much about what you wanted because it was just kind of assumed that like yeah of course I'm going to get married and have two kids or at least like it was just a very everything was very uh put in place and I think millennials just like got rid of all of those potentials um and I think Gen Z is now kind of just riding on that wave of disbanded dating norms and I think that's another reason why normal people was so big and why so many people like were enamored by that relationship because it was it just captured well like what it's like to fall in love in your early 20s and for a lot of gen z where it's like so confusing there's no communication like you never know what the other person really wants or what you're in for you're just constantly like hoping that (laughs) you're i don't know like you're not going to get hurt but you also don't have a conversation about it and I think that's what a lot of dating has become a lot like for a lot of Gen Z where uh these things that we could just so easily assume before that oh if this person's interested in me they probably are gonna just date me for a little bit and then we'll eventually get married and then we'll buy a house and all these things that you could it was easy to assume aren't there anymore so I think a lot of Gen Z uh I I just want to say like I hear them. I feel them if they're like struggling a lot in the dating scene, because I'm sure that because basically all of those guidelines have been um, erased now by millennials. So 
I think it's just a much more confusing in terms of like how to navigate how you feel and what you want and how to express that to someone else. Um, so that was one point. But then the last point, which is going to segue very well in technology, uh, I find it interesting that Gen Z or millennials have created products. They've created, they're the ones that have created most of the products that have now, that are now exploiting the buying power of Gen Z. So they're the ones that have created all these social media giants. They're the ones that have created these major companies that are exploiting our data, these, these just giant tech powerhouses um, has been a lot of it has just been those like successful millennial graduates um, going to Silicon Valley. And some of them are a little bit older as well, but uh, I think Gen Z in particular is getting the spotlight nowadays because we are kind of the start of it. I being 24, 25, we're the start of like, oh, Gen Z is now getting buying power. We're now getting jobs. We're now moving out. We're now like, we now have the ability to to vote with our money because we now have the financial independence to do so. And since they know that we care about these things, we care about ethics, we care about values, we, we look at those things. And I think people are now paying attention to that when they think about marketing and then think about how they want to portray a product or uh, an ad whenever, you, whenever you're scrolling through anything. So I think that's something to just be aware of is the way that we are, Gen Z is being targeted but uh, I think oftentimes millennials are also thought of as like being overlooked. And this just goes to show, show like how much power they actually do have in, in these decisions and like in what is kind of what's normal and like where they guide the pop culture and with, with their technology. Because a lot of it is being driven by the millennial age range. And I think that segues well into social media and um, and technology, if uh, you think so as well. Yes, sorry, speaking of technology, I'm like manhandling my microphone, okay. <laughs> or just like any thoughts on that conveyor belts, buying power. I, yeah, that was a really good point that the technologies, the products that Gen Zers are obsessed with, like TikTok, oh my gosh, I have to hear about TikTok all day. <laughs> I'm sick of it. And I also use it because I'm kind of a Gen Zer. Um, but yeah, those are all created by millennials. Um, and even think about dating and how much more open millennials are about like different dating styles, you know, like we've talked about on this podcast, um, like non-monogamy and, and not like following that traditional path, traditional, um, as said by boomers of dating someone, getting married, having children, like that whole idea has just been turned on its head. Um, and it's conventional now to like not be conventional, you know, like whenever you meet someone, you can't just assume things about them the way you might have, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. And that's like liberation, I think. Yeah. Go ahead, Chitra. True. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, pretty much summed it up. But yeah, I think like saying that it's it's liberation is like is a good point. But I also think like with that freedom comes like a whole other mess of of like okay, well, if I'm allowed to not just date someone to like marry them and pop out children, like how do we go about it? And you know, that's a whole other podcast episode. But oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been I was just texting someone about this actually the other day of just 
how much of those are just questions I've been asking myself a lot lately of just like what do I want and it seems like just as as our generation has grown more and more uh like we have more and more social freedom to just kind of do whatever and be who we want with little judgment it's so exciting but then it's also like no one knows how to decide anything for ourselves because it's like well I'm afraid of picking because I feel like I'm going to make the wrong mistake and if I make a mistake so to avoid making a mistake I'm just not going to pick anything and then I'm just going to be in this weird flowy state where I'm like "Eh, maybe I don't want kids and then I turn 38 I'm like oh crap (laughs) you know yeah yeah that's I think like terrifying it's like well am I just doing this because I am terrified that I'm just like being another cog in the machine or is this like really what I want and I think this is also the problem with like labeling in general which is like another thing that millennials and Gen Zers are very obsessed with is creating categories for people which I think is good and it helps people not feel alone but it's also bad because like let's say I identify or I'm categorized, labeled by some box that has been created. And I then try to live my life to fit myself in that box. And it's just like, that's not good either. Like you want to do, you want to figure out what you genuinely want to do. You don't want to figure out what label fits you best and then follow what that label tells you to do. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Even though that's easier at times. Yes. That's probably why people like, feel the need to do it so much um we'd want to be herded like we want to be told what to do I think which is probably why this whole conveyor belt system worked so well for so long well air quotes totally and it's comforting to be around like your your pack you know like your people who all followed this same path too you know like if if you're getting married and having a kid then that puts you in the group of like people who decided that so it's, yeah. It actually reminds me of two things. Uh, one was this, uh, in Born a Crime, Trevor Noah was talking about how in a lot of places in South Africa, they name you after like what they kind of hope you're gonna become one day. Like they might name you like something that means like ferocious or something that means like taint or I don't know, like you know like even Indian names too they have like a sense of like oh the leader the um goddess caregiver yeah and he said that a lot of times it tends to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that even if that person just by virtue of their name being that and people kind of referring to them as that kind of way they they tend to identify as that kind of person and just naturally gravitate towards being more aggressive or being more you know, whatever caretaking, like, um, and that can be refreshing for someone who doesn't want to do the work into creating their identity, but then also very, um, yeah, I guess kind of dangerous because you're becoming a little bit too, like, follow the pathy. That's that's not the way to word it, but um, you're kind of letting somebody else put your identity in their hands. And the second thing, uh, that it reminded me of was this quote by Naval, <laughs> where <laughs> our boy. You don't say. <laughs> uh, and this is he. 
Okay. You talked about how you want to avoid being too pre-decided and like having these identities and labels. And I thought this was a good way to word it. Uh, he said, I try not to have too much, uh, not to have too much pre-decided. I think creating identities and labels locks you in and keeps you from seeing the truth. To be honest, speak without identity. I used to identify as libertarian, but then I would find myself defending positions I hadn't really thought through because they're a part of the libertarian canon. If all of your beliefs line up into neat little bundles, you should be highly suspicious. So yeah, just keep that in mind to whatever you identify as to always have that open perspective and know that like other views can be entertained and practiced as well. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like I could confidently say any guy who's ever like, I'm a libertarian is like a total tool bag, like every single time. A total jackass without Absolutely. fail. Without yeah. fail. Listener, if this is you, stop it. Stop fucking calling yourself a libertarian. You sound like a douche. Um, Anyways, (laughs) I agree with a lot of that. Yeah, and it brought me back to our conversation on imposter syndrome and makes me wonder if like imposter syndrome is due in part to these like labels we put on ourselves and these boxes we want to put ourselves into and we don't like trust ourselves to go outside that box. Um, and that might lead to, you know, feelings of self-doubt or not trusting ourselves because we're like daring to venture outside the box because it is really scary, you know, to to let go of that sense of sense of home, that sense of hope or not hope, comfort. <laughs> That's what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. Especially with like dating and relationships like you identify as like some category that's already been made for you it's very easy to like not even maybe even know your sexuality even know your like what your preferences are because you're just like well I'm supposed to like this so here we are yeah for sure yeah that's a big one I think people think I think sexuality is a spectrum I've backed that for like since college now and I think if you mention that to like most straight men they would like just be so like oh no of course I'm not not gay gay. (laughs) yeah like it's very boxed like you're either straight or you're bi or whatever and I I don't know like I don't think so like (laughs) you just like haven't met your match yet but (laughs) yeah yeah it's there's always like yeah I don't know I think it's in all of us they've ever seen a Marvel movie they know they know they're not straight (laughs) (laughs) yeah and even that term straight it's so like rigid yeah <laughs> any kind of curvy okay it was the handmaiden that did it handmaiden oh the korean movie so good oh my god oh what i didn't see that really? i didn't even like handmaid's tale no yeah it's often confused but that i was very confused after watching that movie wait a minute <laughs> oh my god is this what it's like to love a woman like what have I been doing my entire life because I don't have that passion. I don't want to watch this movie damn yeah you would love it it's like Parasite but set in like the 1920s and with lesbians yeah it's also just like so beautifully shot it's so beautiful I've seen like ads for it so 
I, I have a feeling you're gonna think it's very long. <laughs> it is long, but like it's quite slow at some moments too. Right? You you know I'm like insanely picky with my movies. Yeah. But, it's, but it's almost like three different movies in one movie because the plot will just like turn around so suddenly and then it's like whoa we're in this like murder mystery kind of plot it's not actually oh, okay. murder mystery but oh okay all right yeah. way to disappoint me it keeps you on your toes is all i'll say all right i will watch it <laughs> but anyways back to the topic um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh i will talk about technology and uh gen z slash millennials so i mean obviously tiktok instagram all those wonderful things are like going to be the main focus of what i will be talking about um but the social dilemma on netflix i think was a very good like introductory as to how these these constant like visual information stream is affecting Gen Z and people who grow up not only needing to be on the platform, but also needing to constantly consume what's on the platform. And like, this is how people interact these days. Like even, I feel like texting isn't even all what people do to, or what Gen Z does to interact. They like are sending each other memes or sending each other like TikTok vids and like, you know dming or whatever the fuck it's called on instagram like it's called dming right yeah yeah (laughs) how old am i um and i personally refuse to get tiktok ever because i know i will get addicted just as much as i am addicted to the instagram reels so won't do it but i get it and it's become like i think most detrimental for like eating disorders or body dysmorphia, things like that have been like all time high. And like, I think the social dilemma does a really good kind of like segment on how, how it's affecting like young women and even men, like no one really talks about how it affects men, but same problems. Like they're all expected to be buff with like six packs and it's like, no one has that. And like, I don't, I also can see how like Gen Z has these very high expectations in their partners And then also because of both these expectations where they also then see that they're themselves not matching this expectation. So they're, they're like, well, I don't really deserve any guy because I have like a tummy or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's causing them to have like these anxieties around social interactions that used to be very easy to do and very like normal asking people on dates even just to hang out and now gen z is having like a lot of troubles with this and yeah this is talked about in the social dilemma and there's like a bunch of studies i think that are also like getting to this and yeah how gen z is having the least amount of sex than any generation mm-hmm. um so these are all very like these are distinguished in the generation groups and also the release of technology and like how who grew up with what technologies so millennials obviously had to were forced to interact with each other for entertainment more so than other things because I mean we had movies and shit but other than that we had like I don't know like Minecraft was that around then yeah we burn on it 
Yeah, we don't, we don't know. And then even then, you couldn't use the internet and the telephone at the same time. You have your mom yelling at you if you're on it for too long. <laughs> oh, oh dial-up. <laughs> yeah, <so> right? <laughs> that, like, ungodly noise. Yeah. <laughs> E.T. Yeah, is how... coming out of your AC vent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's how you know you're a millennial if you know that noise, that <laughs> that air sound <laughs> why is it releasing so much air wait like that that oh yeah <laughs> yeah like the, the computer out. was about to explode from like <laughs> turning up <laughs> yeah so that's how you know you're a millennial um if you don't remember that you're in gen z <laughs> <laughs> but basically like we were able to like get break those social barriers where we're we can ask someone out on a date with like you know the regular amount of anxiety that that comes with and not like severe anxiety where it's like like I look like shit like I can't like I can't possibly enter like go out or like ask this person out because like look at how all these other people look like and they're so much more deserving and all this stuff and um it's it's become very very problematic because it's not like you just have these realizations and then you have to work against against these thoughts. But now this is your whole life. Like your whole life is watching other people be better at things than you. Other people self-actualize. And even like the inspirational things aren't really inspirational. They're just bragging about their life and being like, you can have this too if you buy my six-part floppy disk and like do all this shit. And it's all it's all a bunch of horse shit. It's it's also millennials doing this and capitalizing off of gen z's like you know buying power that they now have which is a really good point shimona but um yeah no this is this is just dangerous instagram and and tiktok is like so so harmful and you can just like even people i know who are in gen z are have been like like i very recently had a conversation with someone about how this girl was like really struggling with um she she basically stopped like eating and then she also has like been been having some like problematic behaviors and like not to get too much into it but all she does is really like scroll through her phone all day long on tiktok all day long and it's like there you can kind of see like this direct relation between someone's mental health and this deterioration and these apps and we don't we don't do anything about it and I think part of that is because like the society is benefiting off of keeping Gen Z quiet. So no one's going to, and they also don't have these platforms. They don't fully understand maybe. And even millennials, like millennials, millennials are equally addicted to these apps now, which is crazy because like, you'd think we would know better, but no. So <laughs> we're just, we're just all feeding into the cycle of like absolute bullshit people like at the top are making more and more money it's just I don't know it feels like no one's losing except everyone's mental health and apparently that is like a commodity now so um that was my rant on how bad TikTok and Instagram are (laughs) um but more more on on the technology part of things um I think the the access to information and how the this has changed between generations has been like a huge a huge reason why generations are so different between each other because when when you see boomers their only access to information was the news or like a radio 
I don't know how old this shit was, but like just a very, very minimal amount of information and very, very filtered and censored based on who is giving you this information. And that like has transferred into them maybe exclusively watching Fox News because I'm sure it's a very similar streamline as how they were fed information back, you know, in the day. Um, and then you have like Gen Y who maybe like can Google shit, but like almost the same. But I think then you also have them who are like a little bit more aware of mental health, a little bit like better with like navigating things, questioning things like a little bit more. And then you have millennials who have kind of like disrupted the establishments and have like started started to make these these waves on on certain levels. Um, but they're also the first generation to have had this much information bombarded at them at once. Like never before were we able to visually see what's happening in places like Palestine, like visually see these horrific scenes happening around the world. And this is this happened to us like in high school, maybe or like, well, I guess probably for the average millennial high school, but like because we're on the younger end. I guess like middle school, um, but like we saw the Twin Towers burn down. Like we didn't just hear about it on the news after the fact. You, it was like blasted on every screen. Same with the Sandy Hook shooting. Like we saw the whole school on lockdown and like all the cars surrounding it. We saw, we see these horrific things happening and all of a sudden it changes your psyche versus just like reading an article about it or like hearing about it on the news after you can like take out all the the gory stuff um and then I, th I think that's that's really when when the tide has turned and now we're we're kind of like questioning things more so than ever before and and I think that's like totally shifted and then and then you know Gen Z has like the ultimate amount of information at their disposal and I mean with that power comes consequences so yeah, I think uh, I think we're gonna see a lot, a lot more severe mental health issues coming out of Gen Z than than maybe millennials, but or maybe just about the same because we're consuming information as fast as they are. So I just think we're all fucked. Moral <laughs> of my story. Moral of my rant. Um, but yeah, that was my my tech rant. Yeah, and I wonder how that's gonna affect like really young kids. You know, kids who are like toddlers or even four years old right now that who are still starting to understand that like they are a person separate from their parents and it, like they have their own personalities like those are ideas that you have to learn over time and that just must be so messed up to have this like screen that you're addicted to and that you you don't understand like this is a separate digital world than the one I'm living in right now because um, I feel like those early childhood years are just so crucial to like how you learn how to read and how to count, how to like socially interact with people. Um, like my boyfriend's niece is about to turn three um, and she like hasn't interacted with many kids her age. And so when she talks, she talks in like the voice of her favorite cartoon, like Daniel Tiger. And that's, that's just like how she talks, which is really cute. He's adorable um, and sad at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Like, she'll um, reply back to her dad and be like, oh, I don't know, dad. Should we go to the park today? <laughs> like, she's on the cartoon show. 
Um, oh my god. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how she like develops her social skills, you know, being this like especially in quarantine, you know. Yeah, I was thinking that. I just feel for parents like they don't really have a lot of alternatives like to keep their child entertained. Yeah. You know, it's either that your kid is like throwing a bunch of tantrums and running around the house everywhere or like just put their and head you're working <laughs> like yeah you're not gonna pay for a babysitter in quarantine and you're working the whole time like what else could you do yeah ex- exactly like it and she has to learn computer skills because the whole world's gonna be i mean it's already so technology driven so yeah there's no right answer yeah that's also like another interesting thing about era that we're in specifically between gen z and millennials because like we grew up gen z like definitely grew up heavily invested with technology and i mean maybe their parents even like put an ipad in front of them constantly but then millennials quite the opposite didn't really at all like were introduced to internet much later and then for us like we basically grew up with the internet our entire lives but we have like slight memories of not having it. But for a lot of our childhood was, at least for me, like it was not technology involved at all, really, in terms of like entertainment. It, it was basically always just going outside and playing and being with other people. Like that was my 95% of the, the way we entertained ourselves. And I think right after us, things changed. So that's also interesting is that we had the childhood of a millennial, but we've had the upbringing of Gen Z with the exposure of tech. Yeah. Well, I feel like even even then, though, like that exposure didn't really come to us, I feel like, until like high school because we didn't. I mean, then again, I, I guess I'm only really thinking about like social media because I feel like that's the start of when like information started to flow even quicker and like even more like with like fake information and all that stuff yeah. um, and it's so bizarre that facebook started as like a way for mark zuckerberg to like rate the hot girls on campus yeah and now it's like where grandma's post like there's this really things. yeah right there's this some um, really good uh behind the bastards podcast um on mark zuckerberg it's like a oh, yeah. two part or three part highly recommend it's literally well, i mean the the podcast is called behind the bastards so it's literally like what well, let's talk about this bastard <laughs> and uh yeah no mark zuckerberg is like a total douche i mean I, we already knew that but <laughs> yeah apparently his uh his hairdo like the the caesar he so he's like obsessed with um caesar oh really right? like yeah caesar? that's weird. Yeah, julius caesar yeah and like the conqueror yeah and he's like he wants to be him which is why he like gets this fucking haircut what oh. being a straight white dude you can't call yourself a conqueror yeah, <laughs> be allowed. yeah. I don't know. oh god yeah no we we don't like him but uh listen to that podcast pretty good um anyways back to the topic uh i do i do think that that the the social media part of it is what is like a major, I think is is like a major mental words, like really negative mental thing that happened to Gen Z at their extremely formative years that are gonna be very interesting to like play out in the future, like what type of sort of backlash that's gonna have. Cause I mean, we like have it as millennials for sure, 
but we didn't have these pressures until like college probably where then like you know people are photoshopping their photos and you know probably more a lot of this came to light but like and even like Jamila Jamil talks about like her eating disorder and that didn't really start for her until she was like 20 and I like I that's kind of also when social media hit around I feel like these these disorders like really skyrocketed once people were able to like a alter how they looked and like have these filters and stuff that are like literally showing you what you should look like what you should look like air quotes um and then people feeling this absolute insane pressure to like now fit this arbitrary standard that was like totally made up and actually has no like reflection of your self-worth but we assign it to it's just and then there's like literally like cosmetic surgeons who will be like yeah this like they'll come in and they'll show me their filtered photo and just say make me look like this like make me look like that and it's like was that on that documentary about social yeah yeah Yeah. i think that was also on social dilemma yeah i just remember being shook by the fact that some people will get like so really gross but like ribs removed so they can look like the kardashians even the kardashians don't even look like that they're fucking photoshopped and waist trained and bullshit yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's yeah, the level of like desire is like wanting to look like someone, but then also there's there's that, but there's like wanting to look like someone's the internet's perception of someone. Yeah. That's like another because then if you want to look like that, if you want to look at the perception of someone, that's never ending. Because that perception can always change. That perception can be altered once. You want to just look like someone, yeah, like they're I don't know, their eyebrows aren't really going to change much. Like you can copy that, I guess, but you can't. You can't fight an AI. You can't fight like these yeah. tools that like can configure your shape and all that. Yeah, and it doesn't exist. Like it's not even real. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can create a per- that perception like online, but you you're never ever going to look like that in real life. Yeah, and imagine getting your body modified for a trend that lasts like five or ten years. Uh, what's gonna happen to your body after that time like you modified it so so like extremely and then like Shimona said you know that that like ideal image of what someone should look like that's that can keep getting tweaked and perfected over time yeah it's it's extremely it's extremely dangerous but um but like I, I guess to that to that effect I should talk about like this the good things that have come from social media because like that there have been some like horrible horrible terrible things like especially like posting about like bullying or like bullying someone and like recording it and then posting it and it's just like there's just so much fuckery happening but there's also some good things like um you know like Kellyanne Conway's daughter uh so you know like Kellyanne Conway she's like that psycho republican Mm-hmm. Uh, she was like was it media control I don't know some something very high up with Trump like she works like very closely to Trump um, and she's like crazy Christian Republican lady and uh, her daughter I want to say Christina Conway is like ap- is like literally trapped in her house uh, she is like being phys- physically and verbally abused by Kellyanne Conway and her dad and she like she's recorded all this stuff she's like posted it to social media and she has had like asked the cops to come and like like child protective services and 
all this and they've all come they've done interviews and they leave because she's too powerful like these they're very high up on like the political ladder like you can't fuck with that yeah and but she got like such a massive following on tiktok that they that her parents the daughter did from like posting and like the like you can like i'll send you guys the the youtube documentary thing that i saw it was very like like the documentary was like very low grade but you could tell it was like directly from her phone like what she was posting and like her mom was saying awful awful things like called her like the c word and like like it was it was absolutely like beyond fucked up and then she even said like i didn't want to post like the physical abuse but she has like video evidence of like her parents like hitting her i'm assuming um yeah but but because of this she did get her parents to resign from their positions both of them i think her dad was like a lawyer like a republican lawyer and then the mom was that fucking psycho bitch um woman has four kids like why do you have kids if you're gonna like she clearly doesn't want to have kids well she's probably super christian and they're like well you can't have condoms because that's like an abortion oh my goodness some people are better off not procreating i mean just, no offense to the daughter but yeah just yeah, i mean yeah that's- like the two of them doing that too you know they like found each other and they just like enable each other's abuse it's yeah i think they're like separated now hopefully i mean i, I think um but yeah no it's like it's actually insane like i mean definitely look more into it because it's like a very interesting story but like she she's been trying to like emancipate from her parents and she can't and yeah i mean two more years and then she's 18 but that's just like absolute horrible bullshit for two more years though that's intense but they they are canceled like her parents are done like i don't think they're ever going to work again because of because of this whereas like pre-social media like she would have easily been muzzled like easily if like the police aren't on your side if child protective services isn't on your side you're done that's so true yeah. and she's like, journalists I- might risk their whole career if they did like a revealing article about that yeah yeah literally especially if it's like a republican one um but like when you're literally giving a platform to the voiceless when you have social media be as expansive as it is right now and in kind of like randomly giving fame to people or like giving giving love to people like even she even said like I she's like thought about like ending her life and like felt like she had no one but because of TikTok she felt like she had so much love and all this support and like is it dangerous and harmful to like own like feel love and support exclusively from strangers that you've never met sure but like I think in this instant, it's like almost life-saving or it's definitely life-saving. Um, and I, there's like a, a few instances, because then we also look at the, the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't think that would have gained, and the Me Too movement. I don't think either of those movements would have gained any traction without social media. Like I think those were, and, and I also think that was greatly in part to Gen Z. I mean, also millennials, I gotta give millennials a lot of credit too. Um, but I think it was like the the quick spreading and like the the constant like mo- like use of the hashtags and like of like the like constantly posting with these these like movements in mind uh, is what really actually did something. And I mean, with the Me Too movement, I don't think I mean, we do see a lot more like men in higher powers like 
being held accountable, but not a whole lot of like law changing. Um, but at least with BLM, you're, you're seeing like districts and departments like, you know, making changes. And, and I think that is because of social media. So I mean, not to discredit the, the entire thing, but uh, I don't know, it's like a double-edged sword. That's not what I meant to say. You know, it's good and bad. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it can be empowering, and but it can also like take away people's powers, you know, and they're yeah, yeah. Like on on one hand, we're kind of diverting away from that like conveyor belt, but social media kind of reinstates it in a way too, you know, by creating like a new set of norms. That's true. Passing away the traditional ones. That's really true. And now it's like, are you? are like you're just like a cog in the machine if you do choose the nine to five route or is like is that really what you want or is that what your parents want like all this stuff now and then it's it's like not even that like other people are questioning this in you but like now you're questioning it in yourself and it's yeah 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 I think it can also be a good thing if someone feels like they're a weirdo because they're in some like conservative Christian town in the south um but you know they identify as like non-monogamous or something like that and you can find like a huge community of people who accept you and who love you so yeah yeah I think it is genuine human connection even if it's virtual yeah yeah I totally agree and yeah it's absolutely like saved lives and stuff but I but I also think it's like we just we can't put all our eggs in one basket we can't like put our entire life in the virtual world because that world is like not stable and it's not it's not gonna be the thing that's there for you in the end it's gonna be like real life people but if you don't have access to real life people to support you then like last resort I guess is good but I don't know I think our problem is it's like it's all or nothing like with social media yeah I think we're starting to forget like how to connect with people you know, like, I see it with my students, too, because they're very much Gen Z. And I think they're so used to, like, connecting with each other virtually, especially with online school for over a year, that there's just, like, so much conflict. And I guess that's normal for kids to have conflict, um, but it's just felt so exaggerated, like, since we've come back, since they, they just don't know, like, how to handle small, like, social situations. <laughs> the same way that you know we might have as kids where yeah yeah we like work through it on our own yeah actually might be a good segue into your topic parenting yeah i i think gen zers are a lot more sensitive as a generation um and i think boomers might see that as a weakness that like sensitivity um paying attention to your emotions these are things that hold you back because, you know, like boomers ultimate goal for, or I don't want to speak for all boomers, but just generally speaking in the most general terms, um, they want their kids to, you know, have a thick skin to, to grind, to work really hard um, because that's going to lead to that like really safe job with benefits, which like, you know, to be fair, I search for that too. Like I seek that comfort. Um, and I, I think with millennials, it's more about um, their child, like 
feeling safe in all aspects of their life, you know, like feeling safe emotionally, feeling, feeling like supported and comforted and like their voices heard. Um, and it's treated as equal, like equal to, um, like an older elderly, I don't want to say elderly, like an older person's voice. I don't know. Like I, um, I've heard a lot of teachers say this too, that a lot of times when there is some kind of issue between like a teacher and a student, um, that oftentimes this student, like the parent will go with the student side of things versus like, even when we were kids, um, and our teacher called our parent and said like, your kid is being a jackass in class. Not that they would ever say that. (laughs) Um, and the parent would like come and yell at the kid or, or, you know, there would be some kind of repercussion um, at home. And, and yeah, that seems to have changed in such a like dramatic way where, um, you know, kids are often turned to as like the authority in the situation. Um, and I, I'm interested to see like what kind of adults Gen Zers are going to be, like if, if that kind of parenting like if millennial style parenting is going to lead um, to like a lack of respecting authority, like when these kids grow up and they're working or they're in college, because it, it seems like Gen Zers kind of put an emphasis on not really perceiving authority the way that boomers did and the way that boomers like really respected um, like some like your boss or someone who's above you and in leadership roles, it seems like that's really reinstated um especially as like first gen south asian kids i think my parents um have a lot of respect for people like in authority figures no matter what kind of person they are like when trump was elected my dad like didn't vote for him like doesn't agree with anything he said but he'd still say well he's our president like because he's our president we have to respect him no matter who he is and that would just make me so mad because i i just didn't believe like you should you know like accept some accept something um just because it's some kind of like traditional authority role yeah Um, like respect needs to be earned yeah totally i think that that respect is also based in like building trust and building a relationship over time um, rather than like just the title that you've been given because of whatever circumstances. Um, so I, I think boomers are like all about individualism, you know, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work really hard. Um, whereas millennial parents might be more about like the collective effort, you know, like like I'll help you pick up your toys, um, but you know you're gonna learn like to work with to work with me to help help me pick up your toys um, instead of like a boomer might yell at their kid and be like pick up your own toys like I don't want to trip over them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's really interesting about the difference between like what side the parents are on for millennials versus Gen Z, especially like when it comes to any conflicts and are the parents more likely to kind of vouch for the kid and see where they can improve and kind of like help guide them or is it more of like just going against the kid every time and be like oh well this is definitely your fault and I think for my sister 
it was much more of like she felt she probably felt more of like the parents versus the child dynamic instead of like the parents and the children together working on this problem I think she felt more of like the parents making her uh feel like the problem but for me I don't know if this is like or any of this has to do with just being first gen or being millennials gen z combination I think it's a little bit of both but I feel like for me it was kind of a mixture of the two so like there were moments I can remember my parents were definitely like okay this is your fault like you need to like do better next time or like this is um unacceptable behavior or whatever but then there were other moments where they were definitely on my side and they felt like even if it was a position of authority or like maybe something that was um you know something happened at work or in college or whatever they felt like it was I was being treated unfairly and they were kind of vouching for me and I feel like it was a kind of a balanced mixture throughout my life. I never felt like, oh, they were always against me or like always uh, babying me and like helping me and whatever. Um, and I don't know if that just comes with being the second child where there's less like enforced direction, but there's also like more of the, the genuine parent love that maybe the first child doesn't get to feel as much because the parents are just like figuring it all out and trying to understand how to, what it's like to be a parent. So yeah, I think that I have also experienced that. Um, again, that might just be like a second child thing and not so much like a Gen Z versus millennial thing, but that's interesting. Yeah, I think they've definitely been, uh, Gen Z is more like coddled and millennials are more like, all right. Like, I feel like um, that, that is actually more of like a, like a second sibling thing. Uh, maybe even like Gen Z, just cause like there's more like information available that like a parent can just google how do I handle this problem but um uh with like my sister and me I think it was a very similar dynamic and and I think it was partly my parents were not as strict with me because they realized like there's no need to be that strict with like they yeah. were like, oh this isn't a stupid yeah. rule like after trying it with the first one mm-hmm. so I think I feel like it is partly like second sibling privileges mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I I feel a lot more freedom in what I can do like with my brother it seemed like he needed to be like the first child paving the way making like he can't make any mistakes you know because a lot's riding on his shoulders but with me I feel like I have more of an opportunity to explore different paths um, and I don't know live my own life yeah there's like a little bit more of a a distinction of it it was like a, a realization that your kid is a separate individual and not an extension of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think was a very hard realization for boomers. Yeah, and I, I also wonder like how it affects how um, parents talk about mental health. Like I think millennials are just generally more open to you know, their child like seeking therapy or having anxiety and like learning to deal with that. Whereas I just don't think boomer parents like had the tools and the access like even if they wanted to learn more about mental health and wanted to help their child, like they just didn't know how, you know, like how many dads are there that saw, like saw their child suffering, but they were like, nope, I was, I don't know how to deal with emotions. I'm out of this conversation. You know, even if they, in their hearts, they want to, they just don't know how. I think that's even like, like a generational gap in in like doctors and like medically what's available because I think now we have like so many options we have like psychiatrists counselors therapists like 
like a plethora of different avenues to go. You have group therapy, like one-on-one therapy, just so many, you have like crisis text lines, like just every, like so many different ways to access like mental health care. Whereas their generation doctor didn't even bring it up. It's like, Oh, like my kid's not really eating. They're like, Oh, well, I mean, just here's some pills to like make them hungry. And that was like a very like problem A has solution B and like, this is it. Totally like use a pill to solve every problem. It's a very Western idea too. Very what? A very Western idea too. Yes. Yes. One that has still, is still in full effect. Yeah. Another episode though. Shimona, were you going to add anything? Uh, I did have something to mention about kind of related back to the technology aspect. Uh, there was this like Twitter thread I was linked to through a newsletter that talked about how it was saying like, I don't think people fully comprehend how much life has changed for humanity between 1900 and 2000. And I think a lot of a general consensus people have had when they talk about generational differences is that generations are becoming more and more different than their previous generation than they've ever been before. So like, for example, someone like a baby boomer versus a Gen X, there's not going to be like as significant of a difference. And when I say difference, I mean like in terms of what normal look like for their daily lives or what their options were at certain points in their life or like what their cultural norms were or even like like pop culture dressing or whatever it is um there was much more of a kind of a predictable transition but millennials and gen z have like one of the biggest gaps that have ever existed between two generations and and just like uh, before that, millennials and Gen X had such a big gap in terms of what uh, what life was like for them. And technology is definitely like the number one factor to all of that and how people are just exposed to such different things and, such, and because of that, such different ways of thinking. And in this like tweet specifically, the person tweeted uh, a pic- two pictures that one was the picture of when the first plane was being tested the first airplane like ever and then the next picture was it next to it was the moon landing and those two pictures are 66 years apart 66 years we were in the early 1900s we were figuring out how to fly a plane and 70 years later roughly we landed on the moon like that is insanity if you take someone from like the 1300s and you bring them to the 1800s they could probably still figure their way out. They, you know, they could be like, okay, they, they maybe got like a faster horse or a faster wheel carriage or whatever. Like, you know, they got some better agricultural inventions or whatever. But if you take someone from the 1800s and you bring them to 2021, they will literally flip out. Like they will lose their shit. <laughs> they won't understand what the hell is going on with any, what are these words people are using? What are these screens people are looking at? Like, what are these like mental health issues that everyone's having with disconnection and like, body dysmorphia and all this stuff because things have just changed so radically like more so than our species can even take and I think yeah that definitely has a huge factor when you think about 
like Gen Z versus millennial or any incoming next generation. Um, someone else said that there, there were people who were born as slaves who lived to see the moon landings, like to also just put that in perspective, like that's how much just things have just sped through in terms of innovation. And it kind of makes you think like, going back to the social dilemma has talked about this, how fast everything has developed, but how slow, or maybe not slow is the right word, but how, how we as a species are still kind of roughly have the same primitive and like behaviors that we've had for such a long time. That's not really going anywhere anytime soon. And yeah, we lack the capacity to yeah. yeah. So we're reacting, we're doing the best we can, I think, as a species to react to all of these giant innovations and changes that are happening. But I mean, it definitely comes with its price because we looked at the downsides of social media and I mean, also the upsides, but I think that's all contributing to having such a different, such a widely different generation. And it's only going to get more and more like that. Like as technology gets faster, as data increases as AI comes into the picture more normally, um, what that's going to look like to be able to like, you know, tap into maybe another a virtual reality or whatever. And yeah, like even just thinking about the conversations that we will, we cannot fathom the conversation we will have with, if we have kids, we won't be able to fathom the conversation we will have with them because we have no idea what is going to be their normal. And I don't think, I think we're one of the first generations that has felt that way because I think, and maybe millennials too. I think most generations are like, oh yeah, I know. Like my kid's probably gonna get married at like around 22, 23. They're probably gonna, maybe if I have a daughter, they're gonna go this way. If I have a son, they're gonna go this way. If I, either way, they're gonna take care of the farm or whatever. But just, we have zero clue, like what's, what they're gonna, what, yeah, what they're going to learn, what they're going to like, how they're going to behave, what they're going to be exposed to, what's, I don't know, what they're going to be plugged into, what their content is going to be like. So that's, um, yeah. How much, yeah, we're going to raise them and how much technology will raise them. Yeah. I don't even think parents play like as much as, as much of a role in their kids' lives anymore, like as, as they used to. Uh, which is which is bad and good I guess depending on the parent but there's so much shit you can't control that your kids will see I mean like I guess you do learn most of your like social behaviors through your peers you don't really learn them through your parents Um, but it's like now you have your peers raising a kid and social media and I'm sure the attention that you're either giving them as a parent or the kid is going to give you is going to be very limited with their attention split so much so and I mean kids are definitely if you look at everything they're exposed to like I'm thinking of like a middle schooler and all the ways that they can be influenced by those things they're exposed to I think parents are like the lowest of the totem pole of what they're going to actually let influence them the first is going to be like what they see of people that they admire on social media and then maybe people that they admire in school and maybe their friends and then maybe like their coach or whatever like it's like you know the parents are going to be dead last when it comes to like who should I look to for like aspirationally 
And social media really demonizes parents, like like your your personal parent, like because because it's like they they put like mothers and motherhood on this pedestal, but then at the same time they like knock your own mother like down where they're like oh like childhood trauma this childhood trauma that and it's like I mean I mean sure like I mean it was a different generation they didn't have like the tools that parents these days have to like know better but it's also like why like we're just it's like increasing this rift between like the individual and their parent and it's really sad and depressing damn but they're probably just trying their best sorry yeah that's the thing too like you said everyone is trying to rest I think a lot of it is also because something to acknowledge is that we are all we're all brought up in a developed country so we're all talking about this stuff from a developed country perspective are millennials and gen z's like this everywhere in the world maybe not maybe in other countries there's less of a distinctive feel because maybe there's more of a what is it called? Nuclear family? Like families that live together in like different generations? Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, that's like- I think that's, I think that's just like having a mom and a dad and like kids, like two kids. Oh, okay. Well, multi-generational family homes, I guess mm-hmm. we'll say, which is very common in a lot of areas of the world. I, I would think that there's less of a stark difference in terms of cultural behaviors and all of that. So, and, but I think because going back to the fact that we were, we're talking about this from an American perspective, so much of social media around here and the culture around here is very, they're very keen on like vocabulary. Like people are very specific about when it comes to words, like how things should be worded and everything gets a word and everything should have label. Yeah. Like everything needs to be like politically correct and addressed and all of that. And that's not really a, a, a mentality that people have in other parts of the world. And so, and, and let's say like, like, yeah, maybe my cousins have gotten just as much, I don't know, like what they would call here is like, my, my, let's say my cousin developed uh, an a insecure attachment from his parents. He probably has absolutely no idea what that means. He's probably never even heard of that word. He doesn't even care. He probably never even thinks of it that way. But here, if he grew up here, he'd be like, oh, I have an insecure attachment. But that's because we have these vocab, we have these words that we're like uh, educated on. I, I mean, I guess like we're aware of and we've like thrown around and we like talk about these things so that people are not only like aware of like what they could be going through, but maybe sometimes it also just makes people feel like they need to apply words to themselves and maybe they people tend to like over diagnose how they are and maybe my cousin who doesn't know that he's that way is actually kind of doing better for not knowing that he is that way going back to the self-fulfilling prophecy maybe the fact that he doesn't know that he's like that he can there's been situations that maybe he's expressed insecure attachment but he knows that he can work on that and get better and he's not like it's not in his head that like, oh, since I was 18 years old, I always knew I was like insecurely attached. Like that's just who I am as a person because like my mom and dad raised me with this like kind of trauma and all these like therapeutical words that like come up a lot in American culture and like I think like Western culture. Um, I I think that's like actually a huge problem with with just therapists in America in general. And and, like, I mean, I think we we give, like we, we assume all medical professionals are are fully to be trusted, like without question. 
which is like definitely not the case (laughs) yeah and like and I think that's like it's really irritating because a lot of times people will be like use that as the end all be all of like a conversation or like something or be like well my doctor said this so it has to be good for me and it's like we literally have the opioid crisis because a bunch of doctors said this and like it fucked everyone (laughs) like uh, people like don't they're not registering it um and they like a lot of times therapists use this like me versus the world or you versus the world mentality and like kind of like reinforce that by well like but I mean I understand that it's like a form of validation when you say oh, your parents did this and this to you, especially when your parents didn't validate that. Like, I get that. But you also, like, if these are the only people in your life that are there to, like, give you support, like, if you totally antagonize them, you're just isolating this person even more. And, like, I'm not saying all therapists do this, but, like, there definitely are a lot of therapists that do this. And, I mean, this is, this is like, the problem where with, like, the medical industry in America – is there's no like continual learning or if there is continu- continual learning it's like based on like very shoddy like scientific research like there's a whole like crisis in America about like really bad scientific research it's like incapable of being reproduced like government grants are like predominantly what are funding these and they're being completely abused and there's like so much fuckery with why like science is absolute garbage in America and then like we're also just allowing us to further spiral down like well like let's assume that this is right because this is what people have been doing and it has to have helped people and it's like there's a lot of assumptions not a lot of science and it's very fucking annoying and that is my rant on therapists but um yeah I mean not to like people should definitely get therapists and like seek mental help but like be wary like don't just trust the first therapist that you go to see multiple therapists see who actually has your best interests in mind and isn't just trying to medicate the fuck out of you Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I especially get very worked up about these things when when it, it can get very, people tend to be like very one track about certain topics. And I think mental health is one of those topics where like we were saying, like they were like, oh, a therapist or whatever is like a mental health professional is like the end all be all. And coming from this is like one reason why I'm very grateful for being exposed to a culture that is had, has is developed differently than the culture I'm, I was raised in. I'm not gonna say it was developed worse or better, but it was developed differently. But because of that, I, I see, you know, I've seen the way other people live not having those types of conversations or not having those types of support or like, or even like a mental health professional to go to. And again, I'm not saying like, yeah, there's so many arguments where it would be great if more people were exposed to that in those countries, but there's, I think a lot of, a lot of can be, a lot can be done with the basics, like having not, like making sure you're not exposed to toxic people or having like solid connections and taking care of yourself and taking care of your mind. And those are all things that like don't need to be you don't need to like inherit information from anyone to do that. Like that's something that you know inherently how to feel and how to like live by. And I think sometimes that argument just isn't made because I look at like a lot of my family members who are just, I don't know, they're chilling, they're doing good. Like some of them I feel like are probably pretty even happier than I am <laughs> to be honest because 
like especially the ones who are maybe even like more remote like just yeah like they have everything they could ask for they're they're feeling fulfilled and content and they probably have no idea what therapy is or what it means or like what it, like why they're like why would you go to I'm sure they would think it'd be so bizarre to go to a stranger to talk about your life and yeah again it feels very controversial for me to say this coming from like being American but I don't know I think it's worth I mean it's also like this person is giving you advice after like one hour of talking to you at like one session like I don't want to be hearing advice from you unless this is like session 30. Yeah. It also makes me think of like sometimes when I think about like my parents and a lot of times my mom has a similar attitude of like when it comes to dealing with any kind of issues like her approach is like usually especially like interpersonal things it's like very straightforward like just like talk to the person like tell them your stance figure out what their stance is like where do you want to go from there it's just it's all like just so straightforward and I look at her perspective on that and like how she's dealt with that with her marriage and her marriage and I'm sure like her siblings and her other family members that share a similar perspective and it's just I don't know I think if you you have some of the foundations down like it's like I think the idea of I don't know this is a very controversial topic because I'm thinking about like marriage counseling as well and I feel like we can just make this we let's just add this as a topic yeah yeah do we have it yeah we haven't done mental health right have we no we haven't yeah we just did like schizophrenia okay yeah so I think we should just put that tack that on since this is a recording I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> if you want to see the video version of this, you probably will because uh, we're going to be posting clips of us, of our faces for the first time. So you can see who these, the faces and these wild minds that you've been hearing for weeks. And thank you for joining us on this exploration of different generations. We hope you got something out of it. If you did, let us know. If you want, if you have more to add to the conversation, we'd also be interested in that. If you left anything out. I think we covered a really good amount, like a very broad spectrum. So yeah, yes. I'm excited to see how this does. I agree. But yeah, thanks for tuning in and can't wait to, to get back to you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.